Hello and welcome to the Investors Chronicle Companies and Markets Show. I am John Human, editor of the Investors Chronicle, and I am joined today by Graham Davis, digital editor. How are you doing, Graham? Very well, thanks, John. Stepping in for Bradley. Indeed. Where is Bradley? He's gone out to lunch. God, believe it or not, disgraceful. Now, the results season is finished. Everyone's gone out to lunch. Yeah, I think. Get, uh, Ian's out to lunch as well, isn't he? Yeah. Honestly, what do I pay these people for? Mm. And uh, Megan Boxall, how are you doing, Megan? Very well, thank you. Good. And you, you're not out to lunch. I'm not out to lunch. No. What are you doing? No, no it sounds like a good option, actually. Absolutely. You've written the cover feature this week. I have. And yes. uh, one of the big news stories. Mm-hmm. So drugs. Yep, lots of drugs. Lots Drug, of drugs. Drugs in the news. Yeah. Big magazine this week, isn't mm. it? It's, uh, it's chunky. Kind of happened a bit by accident. I mean, we have a lot of results still, so probably a 15 pages of results, something like that. Yeah, all felt like them. there were a lot last week. Yeah, we, we would usually have, have expected it to have quietened down a bit by now. But, a lot of um, little ones cre- crept up on us, which we didn't weren't expecting. Yeah, I think this catches out every, every, every I mean, you, you, single... You, you did this a few years back, Graham. I've uh, done this, yeah. Every this year. Years, every year, September surprises people. Yeah. It just keeps going. It's. I'm so tired. <laughs> <laughs> but I think it genuinely has quietened down the last... Well, it is going yeah. to quieten down next week, I think. Okay. Only four Hence, pages next week, I think. Only four? Yeah. Lunches. Wow. Yeah, good. So look, we've got lots of results, pages that we haven't got this week to fill up next week with something else. So, wonderful. Let's start with... Uh, Big news of the week, Graham. Seven days. Well, first of all, Twitter. How about that, John? I know you're a big fan of Twitter. Love Twitter. Do you think it's worth $16 billion? I've no idea. Apparently some people do. How much Um, money does it actually make? uh, Very little, if at all. Yeah. Yeah. But it is kind of important. It is important in the social media landscape. And what is interesting is the names being linked with it. Because the the talk has, has kicked off again this week that it's... You know, going to be bought possibly. Uh, okay, but, but there's no actual deal on the table. No deal on the table, but but there's speculation. Speculation. We've got Google lined right. up as a possible buyer. Okay. Disney's another one that's been pushed this week, which is interesting. Sounds implausible. Uh, yes. Um, Microsoft. <laughs> <laughs> um, so well, um, well, yeah, actually, Microsoft. You know, I tell you what, they got the worst Twitter client of all phones on the Microsoft mobile operating system it is absolutely shockingly appalling so that doesn't bode well then does it no yeah. not really bring the two together um but yeah no i mean there are links there the twitter chief exec is on the disney board jack dorsey so you know that people have put two and two together and got 16 billion dollars out of that one um but yeah it's it's you know there could well be something going on there mm, there's an investment bankers having a little bit of a yeah. fish yeah indeed um, I, I just linked to that, the sort of, and linked to this podcast as well. I see that Spotify um, is uh, apparently buying SoundCloud, which some of our listeners may be listening to this on, right? As I we like, speak, I like SoundCloud. Mm. Good platform. Mm. German company, isn't it? It is Berlin-based. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Which is, uh, I, I really like SoundCloud. I think it's uh, an interesting model. Um, I mean, there are other podcast hosting sites out there, but they've kind of done yeah. a good job of, of of wrapping that up. I think. Yeah. So that that kind of makes sense to me. Because it would sort of make it a natural competitor to iTunes. Mm, indeed. Although, of course, we're distributed through iTunes as well, despite the fact that we host it all on SoundCloud. I mean, it's a yeah. little bit of an incestuous market. That, that makes more sense to me. Mm, indeed. That would make Spotify quite a powerful player. And obviously, you know, that is its big its big rival is Apple. Apple Music is, uh, yeah. is growing fast. So Yeah, yeah. Oh, well, what are they called? Unicorns. Mm. Unicorns. Tech unicorns. Everyone wants a unicorn. Yes. There you go. Okay. What else we got? This week, we've also seen news from the supermarket sector with uh, news that Aldi is 
ploughing another £300 million over three years into expanding its estates in the UK. Yeah, well, you know all about that because it's a big one opening near you, isn't it? Indeed. In Colchester last week, the biggest Aldi in the UK opened. Have you, have you been there? I haven't been Were you yet. queuing up at midnight? No, but some people were queuing up at midnight. Apparently more than more than 100 people were waiting at midnight the night before because there was a, a free TV on offer. Uh, I remember when they opened a big um, Ikea on the North Circular a few oh, years back. Riots. Do you remember that? Yes, at Edmonton. And um, they were giving away some really cheap... They weren't giving them away. They were just cheap. Meatballs? No, sofas. Oh, sofas. Meatball sofas, um, and yeah, they were they were right. The police had the police got involved. <laughs> I mean, it's, this is it's worse than Black Black Monday in the in the US, isn't it? The, yeah. Uh, well, they're a bit more refined in Colchester. There was no rioting. No rioting, good. Bless but it, it is telling that. that well, that's that, unusual for Colchester. No, oh, they're very well behaved out there. Really? Yes. I've been watching a program on Sky called The Force. Ish, episode one was in Colchester. The Squaddies. Yeah. 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 It's rough. Yeah, they they don't shop at Aldi then. Where do they shop? I don't know. Lidl. And I've got a Lidl. <laughs> Me. I guess the point of this story is that these these uh, discount retailers are continuing mm. to to expand in the UK. Their market share, I think, is now about 10%, yeah. which is roughly equivalent to Morrison's. Yeah. It, you know, So their aggregate market share is as big as our fourth biggest supermarket chain. Not to be taken lightly. And in fact, the interesting link here is that we got our... Friends over at Sharepad to have a look at the supermarket sector this week in this part of this this series of running, uh, really really hoping to uh, in- encourage investors how to learn, how to really analyse what's important about these sectors. And supermarkets is one we looked at yep. uh, this week. And the, the house build is one that Phil Oakley did, Oakley did last week. It was really popular online, online and in the magazine. It was a real hit with the readers. So this supermarket's one should be equally popular, I would have thought. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and, and in fact, what we're doing is every... Every time we run one, we'll get the IC writers to kind of have a look at that analysis and then follow up with uh, with, with our, our house view the week after. And, and in fact, although we kind of, although Phil's analysis sort of suggested that house builders are a bit of a, a fragile point in the cycle, mm. Jonas's view is that, that actually the cycle could be extended for quite some time because because of the kind of big trends that, that have supported the growth until now. Shortage of housing, government support. Yep. It's a question of you know, when when will that cycle end? Not if, because it will fall over at some point, but uh, it looks like it could go for some time. Yeah, I saw a, a, an announcement today that, that Philip Hammond, our new Chancellor, is is pulling the the help to buy scheme. I'm not sure which, is he? which one, because there's several different versions. There's a London one, there's, you know, there's several mm. different versions, but there was a, a news piece in one of the papers just that I read this morning saying that he was going to announce that uh, the, the pulling help to buy. I don't know. The in the exact... awesome statement, that would be. Probably. Yeah, that would be, would be catastrophic for it that sector. Be. So, one to watch, I think. But yeah, as, as I say, there are several different versions of the help to buy scheme, so I'm, I can't tell you which one it is at this point. Yeah, neither can I. Mm. Um, talking of government, government-supported banks have been in the news as well, um, with RBS uh, in, in seven days here as well, uh, with the chief executive, Ross McEwen, admitting that with the sale of the Williams and Glynn uh, unit probably not happening this year, the, the bank is now in uncharted territory, because if you remember... This the sale of this Williams and Glynn unit was part of the European Commission's uh, stipulations around state aid when the bank was bailed out. Well, like, yeah, indeed, I thought it was an obligation, mm. not a, not a, something they wanted to do. Yeah. 
indeed. And and you know, they, but they have tried. They've tried. They've spent one and a half billion pound trying to separate it from RBS to float it. As Sorry, a, they have spent one and a half billion pounds just trying to spin this out to try and try and spin it out. Then they decided they couldn't because actually separating their IT systems was just too complex. What if they spent one and a half billion pounds on? I don't know. Um, that's a very good question. <laughs> um, and, and then the idea was, was that they would sell it. Um, and now Santander, who was the latest uh, candidate to buy it, has pulled out. So, what is it? I mean, it's branches and some customers, presumably. It's a few hundred branches and, and a few thousand customers and a legacy IT system, which obviously is fiendishly difficult to, to, to pull out of the rest of the business. It doesn't currently exist as a separate bank that a high it's not a high street bank it's not a high street brand no so it's kind of creating a new bank new out bank. of some brand that that rbs owned before mm-hmm. yep so which customers would be part of that i mean you know it's it's, it's a, a good question. it is bizarre i'm mm-hmm. not surprised it's difficult my dad actually used to work for williams and glins before oh, really? it was taken over by rbs not in ito i don't think it existed in those days <laughs> <laughs> no it's in personnel Okay. Before it became known as human resources. Mm. Personnel. That's something you don't hear very much anymore. No. Um, but yeah, no, I mean, yeah, it's 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 bizarre. Um, maybe they're hoping that they can hang on for long enough that by the time the separation might happen, we won't actually part of the EU and they're not have, therefore not have to follow the state aid rules. Maybe, maybe. I, you know, I, think, I think there are discussions that have to be had between the Treasury and the Commission to see what happens here. Um, there is some rumours that a buyer might still emerge. You know, last-minute job. CYBG are being mooted as a buyer, but I thought they had their own issues in terms of trying, trying to cut costs out of their own business. And, and CYBG, remind me who that is. Clydesdale and Yorkshire Bank. Oh, that's the one, yeah. yeah. We floated not that long ago. Yes. Um, what so, we could do is scaling up a bit, so... Yeah, yeah, so... Mm. Watch this space. But, I mean, it, I mean, it's not been an entirely happy week for RBS generally. Um, um no, problems well, in the US. Or ba- yeah, indeed. Or, or I mean, banks in general. I mean, the um, one thing RBS did do this week, which actually clears up a bit of the concern around it, is it is it reached one point one billion dollar settlement um, with a, a credit union in the US mm-hmm. um, over the uh, the uh, mis sale of mortgage backed securities. Mortgage backed securities, which is the big issue, and that is something that has, that has dominated the the banking sector in in Europe this week because Deutsche Bank which is teetering, to be honest, um, has has been hit with an 11 billion fine by the uh, Department of Justice in the US. Um, again, with regard to mortgage-backed securities. So the fear is that a similar fine is coming down the line for RBS. Yeah, terrifying. RBS can probably afford it more than Deutsche Bank can. And that's why Deutsche Bank has been in the news this week, because Deutsche Bank is... is <laughs> its credit profile is not brilliant, Um well, I mean, there's been a lot of discussion that Deutsche is going to have to take some government yep. bailouts here. Yes, although Miss um, Merkel has said that there will be no bailout. There will be some sort of bailout, obviously. Well, if, Deutsche, to be if Deutsche Bank comes to, comes to the point, comes to the crunch, there will be some sort of bailout. But the, well, the, are they going to let it go bust? No, of course they're not. Of course they're not. But, you know, for keeping up appearances, she wouldn't allow the Italians to bail out the Italian banks recently. <sighs> so she's set a precedent there. So, yeah, yeah. We'll see. Oh but um, well, you make your bed. Well, exactly. But there are all sorts of cocoa bonds and 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 and. Uh, okay, but they sound so nice, don't they? They sound so lovely. 
Um, <laughs> so they come and bite you in the arse. The, you know, they, they, they could be converted into equity. There's ways that the bank could be propped up by, mm. by its debt holders. Um, or it could just go to the market, but the share price of Deutsche has been hit so hard that they probably don't want to go to the market at the moment. No, and I mean, in the case of RBS, I mean, you know, a nine billion settlement sounds pretty awful as well. They might be able to afford it, but then we've also got, which I don't think we mentioned in this article, but the prospect of the, uh, there's still the civil case hanging mm. over it for mm. the, uh, essentially the misrepresentation at the time of the rights issue pre-post the acquisition of ABN. Can't remember if it was before or after, but... I think it was after, but... Yeah, I think but it was not after. long after, but I mean, it, it is... But related, <laughs> it's, nevertheless. It's, it's all related. It's amazing. They were almost, we're, we're almost 10 years on from these events. Is it really that 2007, old? 2008. You know, we're almost into 2017. We are approaching the 10-year 10, 10 anniversary. Where has, uh, and the, the where legacy, has 10 years of my life gone? Well, it's ter- terrifying, <laughs> isn't it? Um, but the legacy is still there. It's incredible, really. Well, I think, it, and I think it will be there for a long, long time. Yeah. I, you know, this is this is not going away. No. But then you've, of course, America's dishing out some big fines for some, you know, dodgy practices mm. of, of of European banks at the time of the credit crunch. But you know, let's not forget Wells Fargo recently has been in the news for some really quite appalling practices. Yep. Oh yeah, yeah. No, no I don't think anyone sneak squeaky clean in the banking sector over the past no uh, or a decade ago. No, we haven't. We haven't. But I mean, you mentioned the Italian banking crisis, but as far as I'm aware, that hasn't actually been resolved no, yet. No. We just stopped writing about it. Yeah, everyone seems to stop writing about it. For I now, don't. Yeah. I, yeah, it's not going away. No. So, so yes. I mean, the banking sector is still very, very worrying indeed. Mm. And Ian Ian Smith actually wrote this piece, who was covering banks until recently when he became company's editor, and he's uh, you know he's he's looked at some uh, ratios and numbers on on the Deutsche Bank and, and RBS in particular, uh, and it looks you know they're, they're being priced at, you know incredibly low levels compared to the book value but then i'm looking at that return but, on equity figure there i mean minus 11 percent. yes so for, for, for every pound they spend they lose they lose 11 percent of it mm. i mean you know 11p i mean that's just it's ridiculous yeah and how are these businesses how are they you know this is no way to run a business no and we I mean, thought the supermarkets were bad looking at phil phil Oakey's analysis this week exactly i mean it was was um it was uh the credit suisse uh chief exec tm this week, Tijan TM, mm. um, who I th- was a, in a rather unguarded comment described um, the, the the banking sector as uninvestable at the moment. He's probably right. And I think he withdrew that comment very quickly, but but he did say it. Yeah. So yeah, the world doesn't work like that anymore. I mean, does it? <laughs> according to Ian's figures here, the European banking sector, as on average, the return on equity is less than three percent. Yeah, <laughs> low rate environment. It's low, it's low you know, indeed. You, you kind of can see how that might be the case, but um, but yeah, generally not good. No, not good at all. Should we talk to Megan? I, I think, think Megan, so you're sitting there Megan. squirming at us, discuss, discussing the hideousness of the banks. I mean, let's talk pharma because you know that's that's been Megan's uh, farm is very investable. Investable, <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> But let's talk. Let's talk small pharma first. Yeah. Redex. Yeah. So uh, Redex has got um, an antibiotic, a whole host of antibiotics um, in the pipeline, ready for development. And they couldn't have chosen a better week to announce that they've got all these antibiotics because at the end of last week, the UN met and decided that antibiotics resistance and um, bacteria that are able to fight antibiotics are the greatest and most urgent global risk. Well, this was something we we did write about. Um, I don't think you wrote it. I think Alex wrote this one actually on it, when yeah, we're finding the cure, cure series. Yeah. I think he, Alex Newman yeah. did the antibiotic uh, series. Mm-hmm. Oh, sorry, 
did the antibiotic episode. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's something you follow closely, obviously. Yeah, yeah. And then we wrote about it in the summer when um, Jim O'Neill came out with his report. He has obviously since left, but he his his report. Jim O'Neill, Goldman Sachs Jim O'Neill. Yeah, Bri- bricks Jim, Jim O'Neill. <laughs> yeah. What's he got to do antibiotics? Yeah, so he was he wrote a big uh, a big, big paper on the problems of antibiotics and the fact that it could stretch into a economical problems as well. Yeah, all right. Yeah. Um, Lord, Lord Jim O'Neill, he was part of the government until this week yeah. when he resigned. Yeah, I'm just surprised. So I hadn't realised he'd written about antibiotics because yep. I didn't yeah. realise that was his area of spe- yeah, no, special yeah. expertise. But there you go. <laughs> he's been a big voice in the um, in pushing this meeting, this summit, this getting people to talk about the the crisis. Anyway, so they've had the meeting now. And and the UN has decided that they're going to be really prioritising getting around the issues of antibiotic resistance. And yeah, Red X Pharma is in a great position now. It's got it's got antibiotics, it's got new antibiotics. Um, and um, yeah, it's an interesting business. It, it's had an absolutely shocking time since it listed in 2015. But its share price is back on the rise again now as people start you're taking a bit more interest. So, so what's it got? I mean, it presumably has some stuff in development, nothing that's actually being sold. No, right now. no, no. Yeah, it's very, it's far away from sales. Um, phase one, phase two. Where, where is it? Most promising products, actually, cancer products. It's in phase one, um, moving into phase two. Antibiotics are preclinical. They've just finished preclinical studies, um, and that was the big announcement. So, getting past there are two major hurdles. The first one in drug development. The first one being. Um, getting into the clinic, starting to test your drugs in human, and then getting the drug onto the shelves, um, having tested it in human. So they have now got the drug in the clinic. Um, and they'll start phase one and then maybe look to partner with a big pharmaceutical company. But that's what makes it really exciting, I think, because if the UN is saying we need big pharmaceutical companies to be investing in antibiotics, they're going to be looking for acquisitions because they're not going to want to develop them, which makes Redix a prime target for acquisition and people are going to be fighting for it if, mm. uh, if it's got what it has got and there are, there are very few small companies who have got uh, antibiotic which is this far along the development pathway so that's great great news for them yeah and we, we had a bit of a, a bit of feedback from a, a reader recently on uh, we did on yeah. uh, the the history of antibiotic launch and discovery who knew it was so so varied. Too. So, so, that, so it's often said that there hasn't been a new antibiotic launch for three decades. Yep, that's not entirely true, as we discovered. No, we did. There has been a launch, but but in terms of new classes, mm-hmm. there hasn't really been a discovery for a very, very long yeah, time. Yeah, so there've been new classes, but they have, or there've been new launches, but they've been for very specific illnesses. There haven't been like penicillins or drugs which treat bacteria, bacterial infections, which cause a wide range of yep. illnesses. So that's what Red X Pharma thinks it's got. A completely new class of broad spectrum antibiotics. Let's hope so. Let's hope so. Let's hope so. So I mean that's one to watch and we'll talk about your um, drug discovery feature in a minute, the the the, uh, the pipeline feature. Mm-hmm. And you know, let's hopefully we'll see this in there at mm-hmm. some point. But yeah. I th- I think it's you know we'll put this in context of the actual route through which Big new drugs get to market in a minute when we uh, we come back to that. Yeah. Let's talk about National Grid for a minute because I think this is a fascinating story. Um, Indeed. Yeah, there was, um, uh, well, some concerns raised. There was there was obviously a news piece this week that um, the National Grid may be selling some of its um, distribution business. This is gas distribution yeah. business. And part of it, it was a news story because 
the, the buyers are likely to be from overseas and probably China. from Asia, maybe China or Singapore, you know, the, the usual suspects, the guy, people who are after long uh, long life income uh, income producing assets. Um, the other concern raised here, and some of the Emma's point, Emma's uh, lighted on in the new spotlight, is that although it may provide a short term cash boost for National Grid, um, and some people are saying it could be an eleven billion pound deal, the question it raises in some investors' eyes is that does it affect National Grid's ability to pay the pay its own dividends over the long term? Mm, I hope not, because I've got some of those shares. Mm, yeah. Um, yeah, but you know, I, out of all of the utility related companies. Yeah, this one has been less volatile, let's mm. say, than, than some of the others. Probably the most boring. But it's really why. boring. That's why I like it. Mm, um, you know, why, why it, but, you know, I, I don't think its management is stupid. Mm-hmm. Um, and, I, and I can't believe that they would want to offload such an important part of business that would, that would undermine their ability to pay the dividend. Exactly. And, and that, is, that is the question being raised about this potential deal is why are they even selling it? Why do they need the cash now? I, this is why I was asking Mark, yeah. Robbo, earlier this week, when we were talking about energy storage, mm. for example, you mm. know, said, why are they doing this? You know, have they got their eye on something else? Yeah. And you know, I, I can only assume that they have. Mm. Maybe they're looking to do a deal. I mean, they do have a big, they do have a US presence, a big US presence, National Grid. So maybe they, uh, they need the money to invest over there. Um, it, it's still, it's all very much up in the air. Um, but uh, Ofgem waded in a little bit this week because they, they, they made a statement about it, which suggests that these, these talks are genuinely you know, a long way down the line if Ofgem are, are making public comment upon these assets. Well, I, I mean, you know, I, I can't, I don't believe that, that, that these are just, you know, this is pure speculation yeah. because we know that the Chinese, uh, Chinese buyers have been interested in similar assets mm. in, in other parts of the world, not, uh, notably Australia. Well, there has been uproar, of course, that yes. uh, they want to sell a crucial part of their infrastructure to, China, to the Chinese. But it, it is interesting. And, I, you know, there is definitely something here. Mm. My question is, but why would they do this? I, I really think they'll carry on paying a dividend. I just wonder what they've got up their sleeve. Yeah, that, well, that is the that is the fascinating thing, and I, I noticed that Emma kept National Grid on a buy here, and you know it, it, it is interesting to see what just what comes out of this. Mm. It looks like a deal is going to happen probably uh, around the turn of the year. Mm, power, hey? mm. well, can't do without it. No, nope. you and I, Graham, are likely to have to uh, live in the shadow of a nuclear power station as well. Indeed, Chinese are bringing nuclear to Essex. They are indeed wonderful. You're, you're, I think you're about as close as me. Yeah. <laughs> You can see it on a, can see it on a clear day. Can you? Yeah. Oh, I can't see it unless I actually get around the bay a bit. But, uh, <laughs> Brad will. We're talking about listeners. Yep. Um, yeah, fascinating stuff. So, that's a, I mean, there's much more news in the section this week, but, but um, yeah, we need need to leave something for the uh, for the readership. Let's jump back to uh, to, to big pharma. Yeah. Because this is a subject that uh, that I find fascinating. I mean, big pharma shares were obviously they did very well after. The referendum, yeah. <laughs> um, presumably because people are interested in the security uh, yeah. of their dividends as much yeah. as anything else. But there have been big questions uh, about Glaxo uh, in particular mm-hmm. and its ability uh, to pay a dividend, given that its pipeline of new drugs seems to not be appearing as fast as its old drugs move to generic status. And I guess yeah. this is the big question of the, the whole industry. And, and you've kind of answered the question about where the next big drugs are coming from. Yeah, so that was exactly the the idea of the feature, just trying to identify where where the big sellers will come from. Investing in a pharmaceutical company, 
you're looking at what's coming up rather than what's gone because by the time you get a drug onto the market the the patent doesn't actually have that long left no um, but you are you are interested in the cash flows that the, yeah, the existing yeah. well, drugs are bringing I mean, and they, that's where the dividends yeah, come from and that's what so they have at the moment they have to have new drugs um to prop up those cash flows gsk is the prime example of a company that's cash flows have really struggled as drugs have dropped off patent and mm. they they and they haven't had new ones coming through to back that all up gsk is a funny one funny i mean th- funny. That, i mean yeah. you went in last week's podcast but we did briefly discuss the change of management there mm. which looks really it's an unusual move so the new chief executive emma warmsley she is a marketer yeah by trade mm-hmm. and uh, she's been in pharma for a while but previously was at l'oreal so, yeah I mean, that's quite it's quite an unusual choice of chief exec for a big pharma group to make well, i think people were surprised there hasn't really been very much talk which was also a bit surprising because there was so much talk when he andrew witty decided he was going to retire and people were very vocal who was going to replace him and now it's been announced and there hasn't been an awful lot of chat apart from sort of tabloids who've been tabloids the fact that she's a woman oh yeah um, yeah right, that, yeah that's yeah. about the long and, and the short of it yeah it's pretty much all, all we've got <laughs> so far on comment on on the new gsk chief executive but yeah she's a marketing person yeah, well, yeah but that's what it says to me that i don't care if she's a woman or a man or you know yeah, an alien yeah. i don't give it i don't <laughs> care i just you know what does it mean for the strategy of this business well, and it suggests to me that they have an idea of of where it's going and it's a it's a kind of consumery yeah it kind of looks like a statement um that they're not going to spin off their consumer division, which mm-hmm. a lot of people have been calling for them to do. They've been spending a lot more on the consumer section than they have on drugs, which is why their pipeline is really not that impressive. Um, so I think by appointing a chief executive who has such a marketing commercial background, they're saying, no, we're keeping our business together. But it is evolving into more of a consumer healthcare business, it's more of a Unilever than it is an AstraZeneca anymore, because it's just it's just got so much more reliance on those consumer sales than it has on current drugs and future drugs. Indeed. That said, Mm. in your first section of this excellent feature, which is about respiratory drugs, Mm -hmm. this is a big area. Yeah. Uh, But Glaxo's your favourite here. I know. So it was... I'm I'm not Glaxo's biggest fan. The magazine isn't Glaxo's biggest fan, but I do think it's exceptional at respiratory drugs and i think it's it's a massive market um respiratory because there are various reasons but mainly the population is huge there are so many asthma sufferers there's so many people who suffer um lung problems pollution smoking they all play a role and gsk has just dominated the market for such a long time it's product ventolin which was discovered in the 60s is still making billions and that just shows how much of a grip they have on the market and they've got new ones coming through which are beating beating AstraZeneca and they're beating some of the big US companies into launch so they've got what they're calling their triple inhaler um the triple inhaler is a new type of inhaler the the full science is very complex but they which we won't go into here we don't we're a financial magazine we don't need to but But, there's a lot of science in this feature yeah there is yeah uh, because it's difficult i think to explain it without it's difficult to talk about the market without talking about the science i think you have to no i I think you've done a honestly a really cracking job of of boiling that science down into something that we we can actually get our heads around as investors (laughs) Um, yeah it took me took me a while though there's a lot of questions that you've got to be asking people and so many times i sit on the phone to some of the chief executives of the smaller companies who are often scientists mm. and they're like why don't you understand this <laughs> but it, it's so complicated <laughs> anyway big pharma um is 
more about the fact that they are launching these drugs rather than the early stage science. And GSK is doing very well in the respiratory section. And one of the reasons it can do very well is it's got lots and lots of money to plug into marketing. And in respiratory, more so than in other areas of medicine, marketing plays a massive role. It's all about the brands. People are used to their little blue inhalers, which have Ventolin on the side. That's a GSK product. They are comfortable with that product. And it's going to be the same with these new products coming through. They're going to be reassured by the fact that it's the new updated version of their old inhaler. Who, who makes the purchasing decision? The doctors? The, the, the physicians? Yeah, and also the patients. The if patients do make it? Well, they can. If they're not comfortable with, um, with a decision, they can say... Um, yeah, I just I just look at these names. I mean, these don't chip off the tongue a lot. These drug names. I know. And, uh, you know, no, I'm not. I'm not having uh, that. <laughs> I'm going to have this. I, I, <laughs> but actually, that's uh, another thing about Glaxo. More so than Astra, their names are easier easier to pronounce. So, for example, <laughs> here we go. This is this is the good stuff. <laughs> <laughs> this is what investing's all about. How what easy to pronounce say? names. Are. I was actually on a media call um, with the CEO of Hikma, which is the fourth largest pharmaceutical company in the UK, and its CEO tried to read out one of its drugs' names, and he said, "Oh no, who's made up this name? I can't pronounce it." <laughs> Um, which I thought was a real refreshing thing to say. I've got to say, as an aside, the same thing is true of the ETF market. I mean, the names in the ETF space are just absurd. And I've said this before in this podcast, sort it out, ETF industry. <laughs> um, anyway, let's, let's, I digress. Um, yeah, so GSK has got a lot, of, a lot of respiratory products. They're going to be launched before AstraZeneca's. Um, they're going to be launched before um, companies in the US. And, and we can say their names. Um, but um, so for respiratory, yeah, GSK is, well, I think, winner. Um, Outsider, um, Vectura is a much smaller company, and it's competing. It's going. It's competing against big, big pharmaceutical companies. It's got a billion dollar market cap, billion pound market cap now, but that's nothing compared to mm. really big players in pharma. And it is just, it just, just hasn't got the firepower behind it. And I can't see it competing. I think for to, for a small company to compete in respiratory, it's got to target really specific. Populate, patient populations, um, which Verona Pharma is doing, Merio Biopharma is doing. They're doing interesting things in very specific disease um, populations. Um, severe COPD, um, for example. And that's a smoking-related illness. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I mean, it, it is fascinating. But the thing, I mean, you know, the thing we've kind of been hearing about the pharmaceutical industry for, for a long, long time is that there's nothing close to launch. And I think mm. this is why you think now is the time to be starting to look at the pipelines of big drug companies, is that, that actually there's a lot that's really close to the yeah, end. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So there was a gap. There was a big, there was a big gap um, where pharmaceutical companies were spending more on that marketing than they were on research, research I think it's like and development. The patent cliff, I think they were calling yeah. it, weren't they? Yeah, yeah. so that's been, that's been around for a while, but it's coming to an end now, and there are so many, like you say, just on the edge. Um, In fact... There's one that you mentioned just before we started started uh, recording. Yeah, kite farmer. Yeah, so I mean, so, you, you know, that's that's taken us all by surprise. Yeah, so I actually mentioned it. It was kind of an offhand way because the CAR T therapy race. It's a very novel type of cancer therapy um, involved in extracting um, cancer patient cells, correcting them in a lab, reinserting them back into the body. Um, but that race to develop that therapy first had been won or was being in the process of being won by a company called Juno Therapeutics. Second was Novartis, had a lot of a lot of exciting um, progress coming on. But Kite Pharma has surprised us all and it today announced that it had 
gone through its clinical trials, finished phase three, and was ready for approval with the FDA. So this is, this is, I can't get my head around how we're surprised by this because this clinical trial process takes a long, long time. So, I mean, you know, you're talking years. Mm. A phase three trial can take a really, really long yeah. time. And, you know, kind of, you've got the companies keep the markets updated as to where they are. Yeah. So I don't understand how they've kind of suddenly said, oh, no, it's done. The thing with this one is, and it's the same with all rare diseases, um, is they can be fast-tracked through. We had it right. earlier in the week with um, a drug for Duchenne muscular dystrophy. Um, it completely, The FDA completely surprised everyone by saying, yeah, go, you're ready, you're done. Um, and for rare diseases, for really, really poorly people, the drugs can be fast-tracked through. So I imagine that's what's happened with Kite Pharma. Mm. I don't actually even know if they made it to phase three trials. I think they could have. it could have been a phase two trial because... The FDA can say if the results are good enough from a phase two trial. It's the Food and Drug Administration, which yeah, is, which is the, essentially the uh, the body that approves new that drugs. drugs in, in, America, in the US. Yeah, um, which is the soul of the pharmaceutical industry. So everyone wants to be approved by the FDA. But yeah, so Kite Pharma has uh, has surprised everyone. But yeah, I think that really shows just how much stuff there is coming through and how open it is. It's in oncology, it's not necessarily the big pharmaceutical companies that are going to win the race for launching drugs. It could very easily be the smaller players because it's all about getting the right trial results. It's not about getting marketing. The first drug on the market is going to be a big success because these drugs are so important to so many people and they are saving lives. Where respiratory drugs and cardiovascular drugs are prolong- prolonging lives, cancer drugs are literally saving people, a lot of whom are quite young. Um, so that's why I, I think the oncology market's so exciting because everyone is on a level level pegging. I think it's a cracking feature. I really do. Um, and you're going to do some more of them, aren't you? Yeah, yeah. We're going to keep keep monitoring the the drugs pipeline. We've got a few. We did have some more to watch, little, little box um, looking at, some of our favourites from the UK. So oh, GW, in, I mean, their shit yeah. has gone through the roof this oh, year. Oh, they've been amazing. <laughs> More good news for GW this week. Um, oh, yes. In the tip updates page, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, it's been a very, very good, well, um, well-performing well tip this year. What, Having, have they, what have they done this week? So they, they've got this drug, which is in phase three clinical trials. It's had th- four phase three clinical trials. The first one, which it announced in March, sent the share price up 125%. This is the third positive update um and um so yeah no, another approval um so they'll, they're going to be ready to launch next year and it's a very interesting one very controversial one because it includes cannabis um treating children but if it's working great stuff yeah absolutely absolutely plant it's plant-based medicine exactly cannabis is just a plant <laughs> so there you go I, as i said megan great feature thank you very <laughs> thank you. much Drug discovery, I mean, it's been, you know, for many years, it's almost felt uninvestable because it's so difficult, but mm. things feel like they're moving in the right direction. It's just so exciting. That's what I find. That's why I love it. Yeah, um, yeah. And I think you do a good job of helping us to, to understand <laughs> it. Actually, I was looking at the tip updates by Sainsbury's. They had some results this week, didn't they? Graham, or an update. Um, they did. Talking and, to, going back to groceries, going groceries very quickly. Eh? Yeah, it's tough. Uh, it's tough out there for the big guys. Um, Sainsbury's has basically its sales were pretty much flat. If you include fuel, take fuel out of the equation, and they were down one point one percent, like for like. Um, volumes actually up. They're selling, you know, selling more stuff, but for less and at lower margin. So because um, because of the price war. And that's that's the Aldi and little effect. Basically. Not going to get any easier, is it? Really? No, it isn't. Interestingly for them, though, Argos in its first quarter under Sainsbury's control, performed pretty well. Uh, their sales were up like for like 2.3%. Mm. 
and they're, yeah. they're opening up loads of these digital click and collect booths within Sainsbury's shops. Oh, I can't wait. Very exciting. I don't actually go in the shops anymore. I, actually, I do go in my local Tesco. We haven't got a Sainsbury's. I haven't been near a Sainsbury's in months. No. Oh, well. Yeah. Uh, let's have a quick chat about results. I mean, there's quite a few this week. Um, Megan, pick out something that you uh, you covered this week that, uh, uh, that struck Cicassia. you. Cicassia. Um, oh, because they've, they've had a bit of a torrid time interesting recently. Interesting one, yeah. So Cicassia failed the drugs test. Prime example of why investing in small cap farmers is risky. But GW is how it can be great. Cicassia was the opposite to GW. It was in phase three trials. The trial failed. The share price fell really hard. And it's been left with a different a whole different um, pipeline. It's now had to focus on its backup plan, which was respiratory. So it's I think it's been a difficult few months. The thing, I don't think the summer's been very kind to Cassia, but they have got a backup plan. It's just not going to be the same as it was. They, they were going to be in the high growth, uh, niche area of allergy therapeutics, and now they're just another respiratory player. And there's a lot of those, as we, as we as heard. We just and, said, there and, are so many of them. And there's some guys out there that have just got much more muscle. Yeah, them. exactly. Um, so, yeah, it's a shame. But their their results were fine, as to be expected. Um, and the sales for their respiratory products are moving in the right direction. So that's something. Okay. Um, let's talk bar, Graham. Mm. Their results this week. I mean, they're also in the news uh, section. Um, yes. because obviously they're in the, the eye of the sugar tax store. sugar tax indeed um, uh, yeah AG Bar drink, uh, Iron Brew is their main um, their, yeah quite sugary that, isn't it? quite sugary indeed <laughs> um, uh, you come by diet Iron Brew um, can you yeah. I can't imagine they sell much of that north of the uh, north of the border no exactly um, but they, they had results this week and uh, and as well as the sugar issue, um, I mean, and Bradley wrote in the news section about the sugar tax and how um, uh, the drinks companies are kicking off, saying it's not just us. Oh, I, I agree uh, with them. Fair, I do completely agree with them. I don't understand how the cake industry is not being targeted, <laughs> or, or the or the sh- or the sweets. Or Chris, I, I just I, I do think they've got a point there. I mean, we we had a well-known uh, cake manufacturer who I will not mention, uh, who had results recently, and they sent us a bag full of cakes. You, I, I broke out in spots. I'm not going to complain about that. Though. <laughs> no, well, I will because honestly, I broke out in spots that next kept, afternoon. It kept yeah. the office going for a week. How many did you have? <laughs> Five spots. <laughs> <laughs> but to single out and lots the, of cake I, I, yeah it's the cake it is. <laughs> to single out the drinks industry on sugar is yeah it does seem a, a little bit um, a, uh, too focused yeah I agree but, the, but then what I think what they're possibly arguing is that a lot of these things have been marketed traditionally at uh, younger shoppers mm-hmm. and it can cause disease. Mm-hmm. I guess diabetes being the main one is something we may be looking at in future mm, um, drug features. So yeah, but they also blame. They also did something which which mm. makes me really angry. The classic weather. Blame the weather. It was too cold. Too cold, Brian Brew. Sorry, I don't. Sorry. Well, I mean, this, this summer, I've literally spent the summer sweltering on a train mm. and in the office. This it doesn't have felt too cold to me. This was the period up to the 30th of July, so it's still quite hot. It was, it was, yeah, it was. I mean, obviously, we've had a long tail to the summer, so they and they did say they've done well since the end of the period. But yeah, June and July must have been okay, and surely even in Scotland, it must have been okay. I just, just weather. <laughs> no, it makes me mad. It's a terrible excuse uh, that companies use too often. Somebody else blamed the weather. I can't remember who it was now. I'm reading oh, it. It was, um, it was Bon Marché. 
Oh, no, no, somebody else apart from them, but what did they bon make when they were sprouted? Because they, Bon Marché, turned, you know, they, they had all their autumnal coats and things in and no one's buying them because it's still warm. Someone has been the weather today. Vinalis, which is a drugs company, been the weather. <laughs> Too warm for cough and cold medicine in America. <laughs> I had a cold last week. <laughs> oh, in America. Because no one gets cold, summer colds in America. <laughs> no, but... It was too warm this year for cough and cold. I don't know. I, I will make a plea now to the companies of the listed companies of Britain. Do not blame the weather, even if the weather has or may have affected you somewhat. It, it really is a feeble excuse. Well, exactly. And for drinks companies, it, you, you, there will always be periods in the year where it's colder than normal, and there will be periods <laughs> in the year where it's warmer than normal. It evens itself out. I haven't heard Fever Tree blaming the weather. No. For anything. Exactly. So, uh, yeah, anyway. they're, they're riding the gin, the gin boom, aren't they? I'm riding it too. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Okay. Uh, we're running out of time. So, uh, anyway, thank you uh, for that as i say it's an absolutely action-packed it's an action-packed cover yeah i know quite, it's quite, quite a cover. If you like it <laughs> yeah if you like i do it, uh, if, if you go to canary wolf uh there's a big news agent up there called news on the wolf which uh which is big fans of ours which is good to hear um they actually have these big screens outside their shop and we we give them an animated cover which they put up nice so this is animated in canary wolf Go and have a look. That's a tourist attraction in itself, isn't it? Absolutely. Um, Yes, anyway, so what else have we got? We've got James Norrington, who's done us an asset allocation update for the autumn. What what James does, goes away, looks at some of the tactical um, exposure research that some of the big uh, investment houses, Morgan Stanley, Goldman Sachs and such like are doing. And, and and repositions his his kind of ETF based portfolios to, uh, to to take that into account. We've got fifty objects, as I promised. We had a, we had a week's break. We're now up to number thirty six. We're going to get to forty. Have a break and carry that on in the new year. Chubby Checker, the twist. Who'd have thought that had anything to do with finance? <laughs> but it does. Uh, we have, as I said, Phil Oakley's uh, sharepad piece this week on supermarkets. Uh, we've got lots in the personal finance and funds section. They've had a good week, haven't they? Award winners. Award winners. Yeah. The Association of Investment Companies, which is the essentially the trade body for the investment trust industry, has recognised their writings about uh, investment trusts uh, again. They, they, they're regular winners of this award. They've got an individual award and a team award. Individual. Believe, yeah. Leonora got the individual award and they got the team award. Yep. And well-deserved as well. well I think our, nice. our investment trust coverage is uh, up there with the best of them. And actually, talking of investment trusts, uh, Algernon, Algie Hall has uh, so usually his stock screens look at companies, but Algie is a a great fan of investment. That's where he began his career, isn't it? Right about investment trust. Investment trust uh, newsletter. Up at yeah. Citywire, were yeah. you? Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, he uh, he's, he's done a screen for for, for investment trust, which uh, yeah, over time it's it's been okay. Um, not not a great year this year in terms of performance, but um, the strategy back tested is an is an absolute corker. Sector focus on data which is uh, an interesting industry. So it's it's a part of the media, which is possibly overlooked. You know, you think media, you think TV, news, but what you don't think about is data. We actually spend, we spend fortunes on data in the office. Mm. No, Absolute it, fortunes. It makes the world go round data now. It's incredible. Incredible. It's a commodity, but it's a... It, it's a valuable it's commodity. It's a very valuable commodity, yeah. Absolutely. Um, and uh, of course, all the usual tips, lots and lots of results that we haven't had time to mention, much more in the news section. It's been an exhausting week, but I hope, hopefully think it's been worth it. The next blockbuster drugs on sale in all good news age. Now, thank you, Megan. Thank you, thank Graham. You. Uh, pick up the magazine, £4.70, which is a bargain for the amount of content you're getting this week, or go online, subscribe. Thank you very much. See you next week. 
When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.